let me say that uh, I am very, very thankful to be uh, with you all uh, this morning. Uh, I just love Pastor John. <laughs> you know, I get a chance to do this quite a bit. I've been a pastor for uh, uh, 25 years, and in God's grace, I get a chance to worship with my brothers and sisters that I get a chance to meet for the first time. Uh, but when I do get a chance to come and to, to fellowship in different churches, uh, it's just a blessing to be able to worship. But I don't know why, but God put your church on my heart. I, I think the first time I heard you at Legacy, brother, and we met in Chicago, I just fell in love with just the vision I was hearing him cast for the church. And so I'm honored. I really am honored uh, to be here with you all. Uh, I bring greetings from my family, my wife, Naomi, my six children. Uh, I wish I could have brought my whole tribe here just to sing and to worship with you all. That this is, uh, I'm very, very, very encouraged. In fact, I mean, I, I had an idea of what I was walking into, and God, by his grace, has exceeded even what I was expecting to experience here to come and to worship with you all. I said earlier that I've been pastoring for 25 years, and I love being a pastor, when God called me to the ministry, I came kicking and screaming and, and terrified. I'm like, not me. <laughs> uh, but the Lord called me in, into his, the ministry, and I love just some of the things I get a chance to do as a pastor, to, to do weddings. I mean, can you imagine doing a wedding and folks walking down the aisle, and they're all googly-eyed looking at each other. I'm like, can y'all listen to me and stop flirting? Come on, yeah. The honeymoon's coming in a minute. Can we just talk and and I love the opportunity of just going alongside of families with newborns and to pray. I visited uh, one of the sisters in our church uh, last week that she had a newborn baby, and I brought food, and I got a chance to hold her little angel and to pray for her. Can you imagine that? What a blessing to be used of God to come alongside and encourage people, and then to preach his word and to pray for people. But there's another side of being a pastor. And it can be very hard. Um, when you get a call from a family and their two-year-old has cancer and the tumor's protruding out of his, his head and, and he's not going to make it. And so you go and you're at the hospital and, and what do you say and you do? The psalmist tells us that we walk sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death. I want to talk about that side of the Christian journey and the Christian walk with you all this morning. In fact, the sermon that I have, I, uh, the Lord gave it to me in 2011. Uh, I was scheduled to preach for a, a friend. He had uh, an evening service series in the summer, and I had to call him, and I had to tell him that um, we lost our house uh, this week, at 12 o'clock, a fire started in our dryer. I had my six children with me, at my nephew and my niece with me. I had eight kids in the house, and they were all asleep. And at 12 o'clock, the fire started in our dryer area. We didn't have any smoke alarms in the dryer. The next room was our kitchen. We didn't have any smoke alarms in the kitchen. So the fire got going pretty good by the time I heard it, and I'm just rushing my family out of the house, and I, and, I was, and, I was, and I would grab the water hose out in front of the house. I was going to go back in and try to fight the fire, but when I got in there, 
it was blazing right beside our, our, our gas oven. I said, you know, I better let the professionals deal with this. So I run out of the house, and my, as soon as I get out of the house, my wife is in the drive with the kids, and she said, where's William? So I dropped the water hose, and I run back into the house. By that time, I couldn't breathe. I, so I got on my hands and knees, and I crawled into his room, and I'm patting around. He burrows on the blankets. And so I patted around, and I, and I grabbed him, and I picked him up, and I ran out of the house. And, 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 and you just see the flames popping through the ceiling. And, and, and every, pretty much almost everything we owned was destroyed by water, fire, smoke, or asbestos that came out of the ceiling. And everything was gone, all of our earthly so-called treasures. But I, but I have, I have my wife and my my kids with me, and, and, and at that, in that, in those moments like that, in those moments when you seemingly are going through the valley of the shadow of death, the the dark side of life, that we live outside the garden, and outside the garden there's sin and there's death and there's a cursed creation and everything that you have on this side of eternity somehow will be lost in one way or another. Everything. And so what do we do when we're going through the, that side of the journey? When we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, can I give you a real occasion when David walked through the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 63? Let me read the word of God to you in I'm reading out of a New American Standard, and I'll, and I'll make a couple of applications from your Christian Standard version if that's what you're reading. But the Word of God in Psalm 63, it begins right above your verse 1, that little teeny font there, uh, not the bold font that your Bible producer put together, but that little teeny font that says, A Psalm of David is where the Hebrew text begins. And it says, A Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, Oh, God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. And I know we pray. Can you can you bow with me while I just pray one more time? Father, I, I just thank you for your word. It is, um, it is the bread that we need every day. It's what gives us strength. It, it's, what, it's what directs us. It, it's what keeps us in an intimate 
relationship with you. You revealed yourself to us through your word, and we, we want to know you. We want to experience you fully, and especially in our days of, of darkness and our hour of great need, Lord, we, we want, Lord, to be near you. So bless us in the hearing of your word today. Speak to our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, scholars debate on the historical context of this. Well, most will agree that the superscript there above your verse 1 gives the historical context that David is fleeing from his son Absalom in, in the wilderness. That there are, there are trials and then there are other trials. Here David literally is running for his life from his son who wants to kill him. Everything seemingly is lost. The, the kingdom is thrown and he, he's out in the wilderness and he's not sure when and where and how his son is going to come and to attack him. That, that, that's the historical context. David had highs and he had lows, and this is the low of the lowest of the lows that David goes through in his walk with the Lord. The man of the God's own heart here now is running for his life from his son. I, I have, I'm a father of six. I just can't fathom that one. I just can't fathom running for my life from my son. I grew up in, the, in, in, in hard parts of Newark, New Jersey. Before I was 10, I'm carrying a knife as long as my calf. I've been in dangerous situations where I thought I might not make it through. But, but to be in a situation where your very own son wants to destroy your life, he's taken the kingdom. He has all that. He has all that David has. The people are following after Absalom now. But, but, but that wasn't enough. His son wants to destroy and kill him. And as we go through this, I want you to think about your dark day, your difficulty, your challenge. And I want you to ask yourself, what do, how, how does God want me to respond on my darkest days? And they'll come. Some folks say that you either, you know, going into a trial or you're in a trial or you just got out of a trial. <laughs> None of us are going to skip this part of the, our journey. You have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You have to do that outside the garden. We live between these two paradises. There ain't no paradise right now. We're not the city on the hill. That we're a fallen, broken nation with fallen, broken people all around us. And as we go through that part of the journey, I want us to glean some things from David. That David has some convictions that anchored him through the storm of this trial. And when I say convictions, I'm not talking about truths that you hold. I'm talking about the truths that hold you. That David had some settled things that, that he had learned in his walk with God. And, and God has to teach you this. You, you have to learn certain things from, from God and walking with God. And, I, and I'm praying that you have these convictions. Because as David goes through this journey, as he goes through this part of the journey, read the psalm, read it twice, read it three times. One thing that you won't find in this psalm. You won't find David saying, God, give me this. There are no petitions. There are no requests here. All David is doing is confessing his convictions back to God. In his darkest moment, in his hour of greatest need, he has no request in the Psalms. He's not complaining not once. He's just turning to his God with convictions that he's confessing back to God. And I want us to look at three of them. And I'm praying that God, as you walk with him by his grace, will grant you these convictions that will anchor you through the storms that you will go through that you will have. And the first conviction that David confesses, I'm going to 
I'm going to go back to verse 1. But it's hidden in verse 3 when he says, because your loving kindness or your faithful love is better than life. And I'll stop there. And the conviction that David here is just confessing is that God is better than everything that you will lose. God is. His loving kindness is better than you fill in the blank. He had all his laws. I'm going to go back to verse 1. It says, he, and here we have a chance to hear David do this through his prayer. He's, he's talking to God. He says, oh, God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. That here, when, when, when all hell breaks loose in David's life, it, it, he's, he's not calling his best friend. He's, he's not picking up his smartphone and, and calling 911. He's not leaning on his mighty men. He's not turning anywhere. He is turning First and second and third, he's turning to God. He, he says, my God, David has a God. He has an intimate, personal relationship with the God of the universe, and he is seeking him. And literally, the text us early in the morning, from his waking hours, David wants to get closer to God. It says in his night watches, late in the text, he's thinking about God. All day, 24-7, this trial is brought David before his God, seeking God's help. And he's seeking God. Earnestly, he's seeking God. And I, and I think your translation says that, that I thirst for you. And, and literally, it says my soul thirsts for you. And not just my body, but my flesh yearns for you. So he says my soul and my flesh. Before, and, and literally, that would be the idea from inside to out, like head to toe, from beginning to end. All that I am. All that you've made me to be, God is yearning for you. He, he's seeking after God. My soul is thirsting for God. Can I ask you a simple question? What satisfies the soul? What, 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 what does our, our soul and our heart and all that we are yearns for? In the, in the text, it says only God will satisfy our souls. David is in the wilderness. There's no, there's no running water he has access to. There's no fountains he has access to. Here in his dry and weary land, he wants to have his thirst satisfied by God. And can I tell you the truth? God wants you to know that. And God will teach you that. He'll put you in places where there's no, no there's n- nothing else but him. Because if there's anything else, we'll find some way to lean on it. <laughs> you call, call, call grandma, we'll call somebody. <laughs> yeah. But then God will cut that line. You can't call grandma. God will take that friend away. You can't call that friend. God's a jealous God. He just wants you to want him. And he'll teach you that. Uh, and he, he, he's teaching that today because everything is gone now. He can't, can't turn to anything else. Can't turn to anything else uh, but God. Um, and, if, and, if, and there are times we're tempted to do that, just keep turning to people. But when we turn to people over and over again in the hour of crisis, in the hour of time, let me just say a couple things. If you turn into somebody you know for help, it better not, the problem better not be too big. It better not last too long, and it better not cost too much. <laughs> you lose a lot of friends, you keep leaning on everybody around you when the problems pop up. Uh, and, and certainly we need each other, and that's why we have a body of Christ. But God wants you to know that, 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 that our help comes from him, and 
He may use a brother, sister, but he wants us. He wants us to turn to him. And in and, and, and verse 2, David is telling us he knows that. He, he, knows, he knows God. He knows his power. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. That, that, that God taught David that, that he was his God. That God taught David that he's better than everything else. That God taught David about his power. God taught David about the majesty of his glory. And the text says, in the sanctuary, you taught me that God. That, that in that Old Testament tabernacle where God promised that in a special way his presence would be there, David says, that you taught me this, God. I, I know you. I know that you're better than. I've experienced you personally, intimately. I, I know that. But all that David had access to in the wonder of the majesty of the beauty of God, God has given to you more. Do you know that? In a new covenant blessing, God has just simply given to you more. That we don't gather together in a tent. We don't gather together in a, a building made by bricks that God inhabits. That, that, that 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and following says that God has a, a living temple made up of living stones and that God collectively has made us a, a kingdom of priests, that when we gather together, God has made us to be this, this dwelling place that he comes and he inhabits, that God comes and he reveals himself here in and, and a way that he reveals himself in no other place, in no other part of the universe save for heaven, that God comes here in a special way. So when we gather together, that we gather together in God's presence to give him our highest praise, and he's here to receive it. He, he walks through the aisles. He hears our songs. He hears our cries. He hears our prayers. He ministers to us with the other living stones that are around us because they're the body of Christ. That we experience Christ here in a special way. So when your trial comes, remember that. Remember the power of God, the goodness of God. You tasted and seen that he is good. That you can lean on him. And David says, I know that because your loving kindness is better. That your faithful, that word loving kindness, I think some of your translations might say faithful love, your, your covenant. God is just committed to y'all. He just made a commitment that, that all by himself, he put Abraham to sleep. He made this, this covenant with, with his people and, and God bound that covenant by sacrificing an animal, saying that I alone will fulfill this and this will be the consequences if it doesn't happen. That God is not needing you to do anything other than just by his grace trust him. And he says, my loving kindness, my faithful, loyal love is just simply better than. It's just better than. It's better than everything else in life. Um... I love my wife. I love my children. Um, I, 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 there, there's a lot of things that, 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 that God has blessed me with. Um, but let me say this. But as I look back through my life, that, 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 that there's, there's nothing, there's really nothing that, that can compare to just knowing the intimate loving kindness of God what, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to turn there with me. Hold your place here in Psalm chapter 63. 
in Philippians chapter 1, and, and this is what God is simply teaching all of us. And here the church of Philippi was deeply concerned for the Apostle Paul because here Paul, faithfully serving the Lord, preaching the gospels, unjustly thrown in prison. They're concerned about him. And what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, this is a personal thing he says in verse 21. He says, for me, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, living is Christ and dying, I gain all of Christ. That having Christ by grace, he was introduced back to his very maker of his soul and the satisfier of his soul in every circumstance, in every situation. Paul is not measuring his life by the waves or the non, not having waves as he's in this walk with Christ. Whether the wind is blowing or whether the trials are there or not, he's just measuring his life by the cross. That he's experienced the fullness of the loving kindness of Christ. That his sins not in part, but in whole have been nailed to the cross and he bore them no more. That he had been taken out of death, he had been taken into life, that he has eternal life. He was an alien and a stranger under the wrath of God. Now he has intimate fellowship with God because of what Christ has done. And, and, and Christ had entered into his life, and by the way, work of the Spirit, he knew personally the loving kindness of God. And it simply was just better than everything else. He said, I'm going to live in a way that I'm going to experience Christ, and I'll die in a way I exalt Christ. Living and dying is all about Christ and everything in the middle. And in Psalm 63, David is saying something similar, that God's loving kindness is simply better than life, so my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Now here David is running for his life. The kingdom is gone. His son is trying to take his life, and he's praising God because your loving kindness is better than you fill in the blank. So, so, so when trials come and that relationship ends, and you didn't, what do we tell ourselves? When, 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 when mom is sick and, and the doctors say we can't do anything else, what do we say to ourselves? What, what do we, we turn to? And here when, when the unthinkable happens that your child is wayward and, you know, what do we tell ourselves? In the sense, we, just, we can't measure God's love for us by our circumstances. We just have to measure God's love for us by this covenant commitment that he made for us, that he sealed in his own blood. That, that, that's how you have to measure. That, that, that'll get you through a storm or two. That, 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 that'll anchor you when the winds blow. And David here is simply reiterating this reality for us that God wants to teach us in our, in our walk with him, that he's simply better than everything that you will lose. And on this side of eternity, we will lose, and we will lose a lot. That, that there's a second conviction that David proclaims and confesses here in verses 5 through 7. And he says, uh, here literally, my, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. 
and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Here David just gives us this picture as a king being at a lavish banquet, having the finest food of all the lands, and he says, my soul is satisfied as like having the, the best food in the kingdom at a banquet, a lavish banquet in front of me, the way that might satisfy me physically, he's saying my soul is satisfied. Can I get the conviction this way? Not only is God better than everything that you will lose, God is better than everything that you can gain. If I had the greatest food if I, that, that would satisfy my flesh, God is simply better than that, he says. God is simply better than that. God satisfies my soul. God uh, I don't, I don't know when this started happening to me, I, you know, I, I, that, that, that I'm not an emotional eater. I don't connect. If, I think, you know, I grew up as, a, as an athlete. I wrestled, and I always had to be a certain weight, so I just, food became very perfunctory to me. But one time I was in a counseling situation, and it was a difficult marital situation. And the husband had some really deep-rooted anger issues, and he just snapped while we are like, just in this counseling session. And he threw me out of his house. I'm like, man, I'm the pastor. You can't throw me out of your house. <laughs> Get out of my house. I'm like, did he just say that to me? <laughs> he threw me out of his house, man. So I, I left. I was really depressed. I'm just driving. I said, you know what? I'm going to go get me a fat burger. So, <laughs> and sure enough, I go to fat burgers. I ate my fat burger. I just felt better. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's just, I don't know. This is weird. I'm like, I, did, I don't know what's going on, but I, I just felt better. And here in this text, that when your soul hurts, and there are certain pains, beloved, if you haven't felt it yet, there are certain pains that go down to, into your soul. And what do you do? The Bible says there's a bomb in Gilead. That God can, God can mend your soul. And... Um, We've had trials like that in my family, not only of losing physical things, but my, my oldest daughter was walking miracle. When she was eight, um, she started developing just a neck pain. She had slept over a friend's house, and somehow she woke up with a head on the radio. I'm like, how did that happen? So she had a stiff neck. We took her to the doctor, and the doctor just, you know, Wanted to give her some muscle relaxants or something like that. And so did x-rays. Nothing showed up. A week later, she still has these neck pains. A week later, she, and I'm, I'm giving her all my suck-it-up speeches as a former athlete. I'm like, honey, if you don't start moving that neck, it's just going to get worse. You got to move the neck, baby. So she's lying on the couch. I'm like, honey, you got to move the neck. And so finally after the third week, I'm deeply concerned. I'm like, you know, praying to God, like, whatever this is, show us what, what's going on. And so that night, my wife came home at 10 o'clock at night. My daughter wasn't with her. And I said, Where, where's Carissa? And my wife said, she wasn't feeling well. She wanted to stay at Grandma's house. Now, Grandma lives a half mile away. Like, she couldn't, it's a half mile, honey. And, uh, and I was just praying that night. We got a call at 2 o'clock in the morning. And Grandma called and said that uh, Carissa had to go to the bathroom, but she couldn't stand up. And so we, 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 I pick her up. We take her to emergency. And the doctor came out and said she had a rare adult very aggressive form of leukemia. And it was like this out-of-body experience. I just didn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't even comprehend what he was saying. And, and most kids weren't making it, so they wanted to put on some experimental protocol. And, and the very first, the very first day she was in the hospital, 
her blood pressure started dropping through the floor, dropped down to the teens, and my wife and I just held each other, and, and we just wept. And, and we, just, we just cried. And, uh, and then at some point, the doctor told us that he had done all that, all that he can do. I'll never forget standing in the hallway calling my mom, saying, Mom, I think you have to come now. Yeah, I think you have to come. Because they were trying to plan, figure out when to come. I said, you may have to come now. Because they don't think she's going to make it. And my wife and I were at the hospital 24-7. And uh, it was my night to be at the hospital. And um, we were praying at this point that she could just breathe. She was having trouble breathing. And once you can't breathe on your own anymore, you can't get any weaker than that. So we were praying. And I had a buddy who called me and he said, you know, Bob, what can we be praying for? I said, pray that they don't have to put on a ventilator. So at 2 a.m. in the morning, they came in, and they had measured her CO2, which is your, once you br- use oxygen, you've got to, the CO2, you've got to breathe it out. It becomes toxic, and she couldn't breathe out, breathe, exhale strongly enough anymore, so the CO2 had built up into her body. They had an indice of like 60, and once it goes over 60, that's when they have to put you on a ventilator, and hers is at 62. So the doctor said, we, we just have to put on a ventilator. So I called my wife, and she had slept in my daughter's room, so she didn't hear the phone. Her cell phone was in the other room. So I sat there, like, you know, not knowing what to do because at her age, they would strap you down, sedate you, and I'm thinking my wife will never talk to my daughter again. So I, so I told, I'm just sitting there, and the nurse looked at me when the doctor was in the hall and said, Dad, if you're not comfortable, they can't do this. And so when the doctor came back in, I said, I'm not comfortable. I want to wait. I, I, I don't want to do this. And so she, I mean, she was mad. And so she's like, we have to do this right now. She can go on cardiac arrest and die, die right now. I consulted all the doctors on the floor. The head doctor over pediatrics ICU was on the floor at 2 a.m. He said, we've got to do this right now. And I just said, no, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. Uh, I'm not comfortable. I want to wait. And so she had the anesthesiologist there. They had, rolled the, they had the whole team that was ready to do this thing. And I'm like, just, no, nah, nah, I, I want to pray and I want to wait. Um, and so she storms out. She, like, left the room, and I'm just, I'm just pleading with God. Like, you promised us if we asked you for a fish, you wouldn't give us a serpent. If we asked you for bread, you won't give us a stone. I'm pleading for my daughter's life. And they came back in an hour later, and her sealed two-count dropped from 62 to 58. And I'm pleading, and the next hour dropped from 58 to 55. And I'm pleading, and it dropped from 55 to 52. And she literally was home the next week. And... Um, And God taught me something through all that. That, that. that no matter what trials we go through, whatever storms that, that we, we encounter, there's no such thing as a big problem for God. But there's also God who's bigger than all of my desires and want, and he's sovereign. I have to submit to his answers. And, and whatever he decrees for me by his grace, he will help me embrace and walk through. My daughter wasn't the only sick girl in that hospital. We went through this with five other families. And I'll never forget little Kelsey. She was six years old. These beautiful, can you picture these beautiful bald head little girls? No, you know, no hair. The chemotherapy and radiation all took all the hair where they playing, these little girls playing. And, and Kelsey, um, her birthday was right around Hurricane Katrina time. And so she'd gotten all these toys and she had said, Mom, I want to send some of my toys to 
see these little kids who lost everything. And she got a lot of money. She wanted to go out shopping. And so she went out shopping. She said, all this money. When you're sick, you get a lot of money. So she got all this money. So she wants to go out shopping with her mom. And she bought her mom a really nice gold ring. And then a week later, curled up in her mom's arm, she died. And she died in bed being held by her mom at six years old. And, and, and I don't know what to say, tell people. I don't have words. I, 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 that that, that we, we always want to say something, but it's better to be like Job's friends the first week or so and not say nothing. <laughs> Put your foot in your mouth with a bunch of Christian platitudes just to cry and weep with people. At Kelsey's funeral, she, the mom wanted everybody to wear bright clothes and just to say happy things, and I wore black, I'm sure. And I came, and after the funeral, thousands of people there, she saw me and my wife, and she ran into my wife and just wept in her arms. That, that when we go through the, the valley of the shadow of death, our, our, our words, our, our platitudes, what, what we need is God. That, 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 that you can't, there are times where God wants you to know that you can't stand on your own, that that God will allow you to to be in the ship when the waves are blowing so hard and so high that the boat is taking on water, and it will sink. And so here these seasoned fishermen in the boat with Christ are panicking for their lives, and they wake Jesus up, and he rebuked them, you have little faith. And the question is not that they were being irrational. I mean, the boat is taking on water. Boats that take on water sink. But they were walking by sight and not by faith. The boat can't sink when Jesus is in it. And no matter what you go through, he's able. He's able to to, to hold you up. And the text says, even satisfy your soul. And so David says, when I'm in my bed on the night watches, instead of thinking about the waves, he keeps thinking about the cross. Instead of thinking about the trials, he's thinking about the resurrection. Instead of thinking about his limitations and his weaknesses, he's thinking about God. And here I'm speaking about the cross because that's what we need to think about. When you're going through your darkest hours, you can be full of anxiety. What if this and what if this? By the grace of God, I pray that we would have learned from God to have a conviction to turn your thoughts to God. He's bigger than that problem. And he's able. And he can, and he can see you through. The, verse 7 says, For... You have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. And so on this night, watch while he's in bed and he can't sleep. And there'll be times you can't sleep. I, coming back from the hospital when my daughter was in the hospital, my wife and I switched every day. I cried every day <laughs> driving back on the freeway. I was wondering, like, some people who saw me every day, like, is that the same dude crying every <laughs> That was me just driving on the freeway crying. And I kept singing this Donnie McClurkin song, Stand. I just kept, God, help me to stand. I'm praying and crying, just help me to stand. And God will. He's able. He'll see you through. And the the text says here on the night watches, he's he's meditating. Think about that God is my help. You know why you're here today? Not because you were so strong. Not because you were so wise. Not because you figured it all out. But because there's a God who helps. I read Psalm 121. That help comes from the Lord. And he is asleep or slumber. That, 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 that God helps his people. That, that God comes alongside of you. And he'll walk with you through every loss, through every challenge, through every dark season. The, 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 the darkest of nights. He's that northern star to let you know there's still a way out of no way. That's, that God does that. 
that Christ comes alongside of us and he is just able and he walks with us. He is our help. He is our strength. That not only is God better than everything that you can lose, he's just better than everything that you can possibly gain. He's our help. And he gave us his everything. He gave us himself. And he will and he will see us through. Um, There is a psalm in Psalm 56, verse 8, that helped me in my dark, hard moments. Uh, And it says in Psalm 56, verse 8, you have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Is that not amazing? It's not a trial that you've ever gone through where God has not been deeply concerned. That he catches every one of your tears and puts them in a bottle. Him, they're so precious to him, he won't even let them hit the ground. That, 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 that he cares for you. And, and the cross tells us that, again, not all of our circumstances, because we will go through the valley of the shadow of death. You will. And maybe you haven't gone through it yet, but, but keep living and you will. And what will help you, what will anchor you are these convictions. And God, and God, a faith that can't be tested is not a real faith. He, he's going he's gonna to put you in these circumstances. Not because he doesn't care and because does he, he doesn't love you. It's simply because he wants you to have what's best, and he is better than. He's better than everything else, and he wants you to know that, and he's going to buy the circumstance, and he has an obstacle course written for every one of us, and he's writing our story. He's writing your story. And I read the end of it already, and I know how it turns out, that we'll be with him in paradise forevermore, And and that's because of this last conviction. And I want you to see it in verses 8 through 11. Not only is God better than everything that you could lose, but he's better than everything that you can gain. But he's also better than anything you could possibly trust. He's better than anything else you can trust. And and again, he says, not just me. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And so he he says that I'm going to walk close to you. I'm going to cling to you. I'm not going to let go of you. It's like when you're a little, you know, you you have your like three-year-old and they see something scary and they're like, them little rascals going to be strong. They're choking you so tight you can't breathe. Like, honey, I got this. You good, baby. You can let let go of my neck so I can breathe. And they're just clinging to you like this. I got a buddy who jokingly says to his wife that, honey, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. I tell my wife that all the time, baby girl, you ain't getting away from me. (laughs) And here, the text says, don't let go of God. When you hit rock bottom, look up. Don't let go of God. Don't stop clinging to God. That God, he's with you. He's your shepherd. He's your good shepherd. He's the one who guides you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's there. His rod and his staff, they're there. They comfort you. And the text says, cling to God. I, I, love what, I love what it's saying. It says, because his right hand upholds you. There's no safer place to be in all the universe than be in God's right hand. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And lo, I'll be with you what? Help me out. Did you hear that? All authority in heaven and earth are given to me. And lo, I will be with you. The, the strongest arm in all the universe that created the stars holds you up. Why would I seek to turn anywhere else in my darkest moments? Here the text is saying as a conviction of his soul David is saying I am going to trust you God. I'm just going to trust you. Let me read the rest of it and I'll be done. He says but those who seek my life to destroy it 
will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. Can I just say it this way, the way Isaiah says it? There is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. That, that, that God will, he'll, he'll see, he's conquered everything. That he's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered Satan. So there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. That he will just simply see you through. Um, this time last year, my, I call it affectionately grandma, but all of my six kids, she was always grandma in my house, but my wife's mother, she had an aortic aneurysm and she was dying and it was, she, it was, she didn't want surgery and her heart was just going to rupture any second. And she was hostile to the gospel. My wife became a believer in high school and her dad had died when she was 12. So just the two of them and she was hostile to the gospel uh, all of her life. She, she, when, I, when my wife and I got married, I'm trying to share the gospel with her and she looked at me and said, don't preach at me. Okay, all right. Okay, all right. Um, and so we prayed and but when she got this aortic aneurysm and she could die at any second, you know, my wife and I were just, I mean, I, you, you can't, you could have cut the air. It was just so thick that we were so afraid for my mom's eternal soul. And all of a sudden, we said, Mom, can we read the Bible to you? And she said, yeah. And she started, we're trying to share the gospel with her. And so one of the doctors came and said, well, the nurses, they were taking records and asked what was her religious affiliation so they know who to send. And she said, well, I don't have any, but my daughter's really trying to persuade me to become a Christian. <laughs> and then she started asking questions. But it's, I, don't want, I don't want Jesus to take all of my sins. That's too much. So mommy already has, and he wanted to. He loves you. And she said, well, I don't want to just want to just trust to go to heaven. Like, no, that's right. You want to trust him because you, you want to love him and know him. Okay. And she kept saying, okay. And then by God's grace, she, she just... God just opened up her heart, and she trusted in Jesus. And so she's, I'm, you know, and then when she, we thought she was dying at one point, and her social, well, well like the home care nurse came, and was, well, she was assisting the Lord. She was just, pre- you got to trust Jesus. You got to trust Jesus. And she says, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but the day she died, um, it was 6 o'clock, 6 p.m., about two weeks ago from the day, and she hadn't eaten in two days. And she hadn't opened up her eyes in two days. And she started breathing excessively hard. And the social, the, I mean, a home care nurse that got my attention. We went over and I started reading to her Romans chapter 8. And I read to her that neither death nor life, then nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus. When I got to that verse in Romans 8, she opened up her eyes. I said, neither death, and I read again, neither death, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, mom. And she closed her eyes back and breathed the last breath, and, and God, God took her. That even death, death can't separate you from God. There is no enemy. There is nothing that can keep you from Christ. His strong arm is overcome. The gospel is a proclamation of victory. Jesus ain't trying to save nobody. That he has secured the salvation of all who will believe. That he has overcome. And when you trust him, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you came in trusting in Jesus today. But today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. If you don't know him, that he hung on that cross to save sinners. And you need to be saved. 
that we're all under the wrath of God, deservedly so. But what Jesus did, none of us deserve. He took our sins on himself. The one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He gives us a gift of his grace, righteousness, to reconcile us back to God. And with God, we'll be forevermore. There's nothing, there's no enemy, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. David says this in verse 11, But the king will rejoice in God, and everyone who swears by him will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Every one of the enemies of Christ will be overcome, and we will be reconciled with him forevermore. And if you know and love and trust Jesus, I'm going to say this and I'm going to sit down. Now, I've... That, that, that you're going to go through some things in life. And, and I, 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 I can't begin to explain to you all the whys. Job never got an answer why. He never knew. Lost everything. never knew. And God, God made, God, God is, he don't, even, he don't even feel the pressure to tell you all whys. But, but what he wants you to know and what he's trying to teach all of us is this, that you can trust him. I walked with the Lord for over 30 years. And I, and I can't begin, to, I can't tell you all the whys and wins and hows, but I can tell you this, that he is faithful. He is faithful. That, that, that in every situation, every storm, every dark hour, he is just faithful. And you need to cling to him because he's better than everything you can lose. And he's better than everything that you can gain. And he's absolutely better than any and everything else that you can possibly trust. And they've got to be convictions that anchor your soul. God wants to teach you that. And I pray that you'll let him teach that to you now. Amen. I'm going to let you bow your head and just thank the Lord that he's faithful to you and that he's good to you. And the next verse you hear will be Richard's.